People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of series 6 of People's Poetry Podcast. This is the poetry and spoken word podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, a teacher and poet myself, as I wander the UK to chat to a range of poets and explore the UK's love affair with poetry. Now this podcast is not just for those who are already into poetry. Our mission, my mission, is to show you that there is poetry for all walks of life and there is something out there written for you. Series 6 was recorded in the middle of the global pandemic, I'm sure you've heard of it, via the magic of Zoom. Series 6, we've decided to hear from you and we have launched our new open mic segment of the podcast. Each episode, we're going to select one of the many submissions we've had. A massive thank you to everyone that has submitted. It's been really tough whittling it down to just nine this series. Uh, But each episode, we are going to hear one poem from a new voice from not just the UK, but around the globe. Hi, I'm Jade Molawrence, and this is my poem, The End of Sunday Night. I've spent this week trying to perfect the omelette, and every time I see the specks of eggshells in the pan, I'm dying a little more. How can I hustle a smile with bird shit on the window? I'm concerned about what parts of me will break, these root canals to despair. I don't want to let anyone I love down, maybe I'm a mess transparent. I've asked if my body belongs to the sea and the response is always the same. We are already underwater. I live with the good intentions possible, all round hip and steady. Pocket mirrors weigh my clothes. Having to admit I'm jealous takes courage. Taste buds blur sanity. I've let all of me get in the way again. When does the rhythm change? A smile is a rope. Announcing itself, asking if the body needs tightening. A big thank you to Jade Moira Lawrence for sending in that piece. This episode, I had a great chat with Cecilia Knapp. She is currently the Young Persons Poet Laureate for London. So we spoke about her new role, spoke about the power of writing, and she gave some great advice on the process of publication and dealing with rejection. I'm very excited to be joined by Cecilia Knapp today on this episode. One of the easily the busiest poets I've had the pleasure to sit down and talk to. A poet, a playwright, a novelist, and Young People's Laureate for London. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. You've been on, I, I usually say you've been on my hit list for a while, but that sounds wrong, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds a bit sinister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, you've, you've certainly been on my radar a while. I just, I don't know why it hasn't happened, but here we go. You're here. Thank you for being here. How's lockdown 3.0 I'm branding it? How's, how's it been for you so far? Lockdown 3.0. God, that's depressing, isn't it? Um, yeah. Do you know what? It's been fine. Like I've kind of settled into a bit of a groove. Mm. Um, First couple of lockdowns, I think I struggled like a lot of other writers with this kind of like obsession with productivity and being like, oh, because we're in lockdown, I better write prolifically and like dedicate my whole day to writing and reading and bettering myself as a writer but um I just don't think that it's necessarily the time for that at the moment you know um 
So I've definitely like in this third lockdown, I've definitely tried to just slow down a bit more and be a bit kind of like kinder to myself and a bit more conscientious about like taking this time to kind of reset and rest. And like if the writing comes um, as it sometimes does, that's amazing and I'll sit down and I'll write. Um, but if it doesn't, I've been doing lots of reading. It's nice to be able to spend time with some like novels that I haven't had a chance to read yet. Yeah. And nice to spend some time with people's poetry collections. And I've been doing a lot of like teaching. And so like keeping, keeping like in touch with communities in that way, which has been really nice. And just basically trying to take every day as it comes and not like berate myself if I haven't written a masterpiece by the end of this. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, certainly being in one place has affected my writing. Uh, mm. I didn't, didn't realise how much my surroundings influenced what, what I write. Being stuck in one place. Clearly, I'm not built for a writer's retreat, put it that way. Because mm -hmm. being stuck in that one place isn't doing me any good. But yeah. I also yeah. think with a writer's with a writer's retreat, you've you've chosen to be there, right? You you're like, I'm gonna go on a writer's retreat in like yeah. Costa Rica or something, and it's beautiful. But I don't know <laughs> where you're stuck, like, but we've been like state sanctioned locked down so it's not conducive to creativity at all is it that's a very good point a writer's retreat in south london i don't think would be the most inspiring <laughs> place here but yeah. yeah so in terms of how lockdowns affected you creatively it seems like you're just taking that time to as you say regenerate yourself maybe and and concentrate on on reading and things like that mm, totally yeah, yeah i think it's, a, it's just a good time to to chill a little yeah. bit like yeah. I, I was before Corona happened, I was on trains like all the time, like a gig up north. And then I was teaching a workshop in the southwest. And then I was and just like slowing down has been really good for me, actually. Yeah. Well, we've got lots and lots to chat about. Obviously, your new role as people, young people's uh, poet laureate for London, which is very exciting. But I'm going to take it way back to the start um, of your poetic career, if you like, and ask you when you were first aware of poetry so not when you first started writing but can you remember whether it was a specific poem or a moment that you first became aware of poetry um I think I always really liked um books as a kid um, my mum used to read to me a lot yeah. there was there was a book god I've never actually answered this question with this answer before there was this book by Roald Dahl mm. um, and it was like a retelling of like uh, common like fairy tales right, but okay. it was written entirely in verse and um, and it was like a like a gross retelling of them yeah, yeah. <laughs> the version do you, do you know the one I mean I vaguely rings a bell yeah I just loved that I loved the um I, I I mean my poems now my poems now don't rhyme but I loved the fact that it was kind of confined in this like verse and I loved the kind of playfulness of it I loved the kind of riskiness of it like yeah. I was always quite as a kid I always kind of quite liked salacious things so I'd always like try and like eavesdrop on the grown-ups and then if anything like was slightly rude or risky I was quite I was quite attracted to that as a kid so I remember that book and I remember being incredibly entertained by it um I remember like I mean this is morbid but I remember people reading like really moving and beautiful things at funerals mm -hmm. um 
there's a, a poem that I think was read at my granddad's funeral about a boat going out to sea. And like, I remember even at a really young age being like quite moved by that. Yeah. Um, but in terms of at school, um, we didn't do much inspiring poetry at school, I have to say. I was much more interested in fiction at school. I had a really amazing English teacher who basically read the whole of To Kill a Mockingbird from start to finish, like amazing. out to us as a class. And it felt yeah. like this really like communal experience. And it felt like we were being trusted to just sit and listen and digest those <clears throat> words and that story. And I, that that's really profound. And then I remember trying to analyze a Simon Armitage or a Caroline Duffy poem. Um, from the anthology that we had that I think those poems are still on the syllabus but other than that I can't really remember much poetry in school and certainly no visiting poets or much discussion about poetry at school yeah I think I think it was the same at my school I mean that's when I got into poetry because I'd never really been exposed to it before but it, as you said it was Simon Armitage, Caroline Duffy those sort of anthology poets that mm. you're right are still in still in the anthology they're still going strong there what triggered you that transition into writing then from sort of you've said you've had a love for fiction and things like that at school what when can you remember that point when you actually started writing um, and you thought actually this is this is what I want to do going forward yeah um I always wrote in little notebooks so I kept diaries and I wrote stories um as a kid but that was kind of just um a, a hobby really yeah and um I guess I didn't see writing as a career. Um, obviously, I knew there were writers. You know, I was reading books that were published and stuff, but I don't think those, I don't think those things ever clicked. I didn't read like Harry Potter when I was like ten and go, oh, a person's job is to write this book. It didn't just click for me. Yeah. But I loved like stories and stuff like that. So I did actually think that I wanted to be an actor. Um, so I was like you know really into drama at school really into like plays and scripts and stuff like that and then I was going to go to drama school but my dad was basically like please don't <laughs> and um I never my dad's not like a strict dad at all and he's actually a musician so he's like in the creative world as well right yeah he was like please don't go to drama school I just have this feeling that you'll that you'll enjoy English so I did, I listened to my dad and I went and I did English in London at Goldsmiths. And um, I didn't really enjoy the university experience. I found it all quite intimidating and um, felt like a bit of an imposter there. But I did, because I was in London, have access to opportunities for like under 25s, creative opportunities, workshops. And I went to one at the Roundhouse uh, in Camden thinking that it was a drama workshop, but it was actually a spoken word workshop run yeah. by Poet there. Um, and it was like a year long course every Sunday. I think I paid like 20 quid for it. I actually think I even maybe got that 20 quid subsidized because I was like low income. Amazing. And um, it changed my life basically. Yeah. I was speaking to uh, quite a few uh, roundhouse alumni uh over the the series so we've got tyrone lewis on this series who was speaking mm. about his experience it, it just seems like such a good creative space the the roundhouse and especially for nurturing talent yeah the poetry collective is is definitely a program that is quite transformative for for people um because it because it is that year long and because it is access to like 
a community of other writers and mm. and I was 18 when I joined and there was like five other writers in our group and they were we were all kind of like similar ages and we were all like at a bit of a crossroads like what what do what are we doing like my mate Maria Ferguson was was with me in our cohort and she was just graduated from drama school and she was like do I want to be an actor? And now she's an incredible poet and theatre maker. Yeah. And it kind of set the path off for her on that. And my other mate, Jack Rook, who was in the cohort with me, he's now a comedian and a TV writer. And it was just, I think it was something about that space to just figure it out in a room together every Sunday for a few hours, write, write new things and share them with each other and, and, and form those friendships. And like, it was a really nurturing important space for all of us yeah some big big voices that have come out of there that was about maria being one i think she's she's hilarious but she's very talented jess mm. green as well had the pleasure yeah of jess as well yeah some some really good stuff coming out around us i was going to ask you about acting and whether you considered it before because a lot of the stuff you've written uh, in recent years has been for the theater isn't it on stage mm. uh, obviously finding home and losing the night and I mean, I've got um, Finding Home, the book, and I've read it a few times and it's just an incredible piece of work. But it, it scares me reading it because I think, how can someone bring poetry to the stage that well? When you're writing for theatre, do you find that there's uh, more different sort of challenges trying to get poetry onto a stage? Because you, you've got to hold the audience attention for quite a long time, whereas some poetry shows slots might be like 30 minutes or so. Mm. Yeah, I think um, with Finding Home, th there are so many different types of poetry, aren't there? There's, there's, and I, and I think, and I really do believe that all poetry, there's a value in all poetry and all poetry can happily coexist. Um, and I think the type of poetry that's in Finding Home is incredibly driven by narrative. Um, in a way that like my my poems that I write now for my first collection, for example, aren't necessarily reliant on on that kind of narrative um, architecture. Yeah. Finding home, if you it, it, it was an hour long and it and it and its purpose was to tell a story. Um, so it was very much when I was writing it, it was very much kind of like mapped out by certain key key moments of conflict and climax and um, resolution you know it followed the kind of um, typical story points of like a film script or something like that but the language was was poetic um, so that was a different experience than writing I don't know like a 10 line poem which um, I do a little bit more of now with losing the night it was completely dialogue driven so again, that was a completely different experience because it was like, how do I say what I want to say, but, but through the voices of these two characters only. Yeah. And so that was a really interesting challenge. And I actually wrote a lot of that just by like chatting to myself at my kitchen table and just writing bits down. Like, I wonder what they would say then and what's underneath that. What are they trying to say, but how are they saying it instead sort of thing? Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's all very different processes and and to be honest like I didn't do any of it on my own like with with Finding Home I wrote the kind of bare bones of of the script and then I took it to a director who helped me with things like story and narrative and stuff like that and with Losing the Night similarly I worked with um, a director who you know a lot of that was rejigged and um, 
different scenes put elsewhere and stuff it's definitely not like a so writing you you write the kind of vomit on the page on your own as a writer yeah. and then you work with amazing people to draw it all together yeah no, it's, it's an incredible thing to read and it? it's one of those things that makes me think oh, I wish I'd have seen it on stage now because you can just you can feel from the page it would it would work so well on stage the themes in Finding Home uh, and in your poetry in general are sometimes themes that people could feel slightly uncomfortable uh, with writing themselves bereavement's a big one for you isn't it um, mm. something that you write about and I absolutely love that all of your online presence you constantly peddle this idea of the power in writing the power of writing and you're a big believer in that the writing process I think I've heard you talk about with with writing about subjects as difficult as that is you said you find it empowering do you find that it, it when you write those things because because basically I I had um similar my mate to killed himself unfortunately a few years ago and it, it mm. knocked me for six a bit and I know you write about about your brother and um it took me years and years just to write this one poem I don't know partly because I felt like anything I said wouldn't do him justice perhaps and then you get imposter syndrome and mm -hmm. I kind of think who am I to be writing this about his life blah 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 with you how how is that process because you, you said you find it empowering getting it onto the page mm. I think as with or as with all writing I think it's a process of of discovery and when you when you write in the most kind of free way without that kind of inner critic and without a judgment on yourself and without thinking about where it's going or what it might end up saying or or whether you're entitled to say it or not i think that's when the best writing comes out and when you have that process of discovery and when you when you land on something that you maybe didn't even know that you wanted to articulate yeah and after I lost I mean I lost my brother eight years ago and I think I was a I think I was a bit more like confident back back then like I was in my early 20s and um the writing just came very naturally to me I was like what well, obviously I write I'm, I'm just going to write about this I think nowadays I am a bit more like um hesitant about writing I don't know what, why that is I think everyone's a bit more confident when they're younger aren't they in that 100%, kind of 100 yeah in that kind of you know you know I'm gonna set I, I'm gonna stick to my guns whereas nowadays I'm quite I'm quite a lot more moderate I'm like oh here's my opinion but is that my opinion I don't know you know um yeah. So it came, I never struggled when I was writing about Leo, my brother. I never struggled with stuff like, um, you know, am I doing this justice or, um, you know, where is this going or what am I saying? Because I just, I had given myself permission to have this freedom. Um, and that was such an important process for me because it did mean that I discovered how I felt about his loss, about his life, about my life going forward. And I, I try now when I write to always reach towards that freedom and that non-judgment that I had when I was writing in my early 20s, because I think that's when the really good writing comes out and the writing that has a real benefit on, on you as the writer as well, you know, rather than thinking... I'm going to say this particular thing, you know, knowing where you're going to start before you write, I think that sometimes kills it. Um, yeah. And also the self-doubt of like, I'm trying to write about this huge subject, but it's too difficult. 
that also kills it. So I think it's about allowing yourself that freedom. And then the empowerment comes from the discoveries that you've made while you've been having that freedom writing, you know? Um, and I was listening to a podcast actually this morning when I was on my run about, it was like a family speaking out about a, a, lo a loss that they'd had and that, um, that someone in their family had struggled really badly with mental health, but it was really stigmatized. And, um, and they were speaking out about it for the first time. Um, and I, and it got me thinking like, that is why you speak about things, isn't it? That is why you write about the, the difficult things. It's because it is, a, it's like a generosity to the world in some way of like, here is my experience. I hope that it helps you find a language for yours, or I hope it helps you feel less alone or alienated yeah. by yours. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point about getting your thoughts down and you sort of you discover more about yourself. It's, it's therapy in a way, I guess, isn't it? Um, and and that thing you just said there about if you've got a preconceived idea, it sometimes it kills it. I think yeah. certainly when I wrote about Sean, that that yeah, I was like, I want to write this this tribute to him. He needs yeah. to be remembered, and then I, it just killed it dead. And yeah, it was actually and lockdown. That it just because I think the sun helped. I was in my garden, and it just as you said came out because I, I had that freedom. I guess I hadn't put any restraints on. Yeah, it's very flighty. The writing process it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't come to you just because you say you want it to come to you. It comes to you when you're waiting for the bus or when you're on the toilet or something. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Always around. and I also and I think that yeah, writing is writing is very therapeutic when you have those moments of wow clarity consolidation discovery but also writing is difficult and and in and in many ways you're kind of you're going to a point in writing where you wouldn't necessarily even go to in therapy because you're staying out there and you're like I'm staying in this bit of trauma in order to, in order to write about it so mm. in some ways you have to recognize when you are um when it's affecting you badly and like come back from it, I think sometimes, like I, I would never say to my students, for example, like tell me about the worst things that have happened to you and write about it. Because yeah. I think that is, it's not, I think, I don't think it's safe. And I think the way that you find out, the way that you have the discovery through writing is by just writing and seeing where it goes without saying to yourself, now I'm gonna write about the time that my brother died um you know more and more these days I will just set myself off on like a free bit of writing and something that has been like festering away in the back of my head will come out in a strange image or come out in a metaphor yeah. or whatever in a way that I didn't know before and I think that is probably like a safer process than being like okay writing day today I'm gonna write about my brother's suicide you know yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's much more organic way of of getting you what what's in there perhaps you don't know it's in there onto the page mm -hmm. I agree yeah the power of writing obviously very important at the minute with people stuck in you know wherever they are in lockdown uh, and I've seen I think it's as part of your role as young person's poet laureate for London you've started the write through it on Instagram yeah um, so for anyone who hasn't seen those they they look I think I saw the first one uh they're sort of like writing prompts aren't they that you're doing on Instagram live yeah that's right so I was like I got like sworn in um, as poet laureate in October uh, 
and started planning stuff for the year ahead but then obviously we went into lockdown 3.0 yeah. um, so I was like god what can I do online to kind of try and keep spreading the message of poetry and to to, to help young young people see poetry as a space for them even though we're kind of all stuck indoors and how can I help people through lockdown with a bit of writing you know even if they've never tried writing before I hope that that the campaign will help them do it but basically it's 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 really simple it's just I've been I've been posting these three um, short like 10 minute videos where it's like a different writing tip each video. And um, so even if you feel like you don't have time for like a full writing workshop, you could just watch this little 10 minute video and just try something and just see how it feels and just it might just feel really good. And then I've also been running. Uh, I'm also running three free hour long workshops for anyone that wants to kind of like get more involved. Um, and all the information is on spreadtheword.org um, uh, and I think it's slash uh, right through this and you can sign up to the workshops but you can also watch the videos and then you can send your poems in if you want to, um, if you want me to see them and if you want spread the word to kind of make a, uh, make a fuss out of them and post them and stuff so yeah hopefully it's just a little something that people can do to try and get us through this next sort of next few weeks definitely and i love the fact that you you are saying to people doesn't matter if you haven't written before um i mean this is the time for trying new things as well for anyone that's listening and thinks oh, i'll give it a go i definitely yeah. should young person's poet laureate for london obviously an amazing role so congrats on on getting that role taken over from Teresa lola who is another amazing poet so i mean in terms of who they're getting to do this role it's incredible what what does this role entail for anyone who's not heard of it before? Because I know, I think I only heard of it about probably when Teresa Lola had it the first time. I didn't really know we had a young person's poet laureate, which is, uh, I probably shouldn't admit that, but yeah, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's basically, um, thank you. It's really exciting. Uh, basically the role is about uh, increasing the visibility of poetry for young people. Um, so you're a teacher, right? Yes. So, you must know that young people, the majority of young people don't see poetry as a space for them. Um, no, especially, and I probably shouldn't say this, but especially as, you know, examples like AQA sort of peddle the same mm. poets. And there's nothing wrong with a lot of those poets, but there's certainly a small percentage of the poems in that anthology that will speak directly to uh, students yeah. of that age. Yeah, I don't think students nowadays see themselves reflected in those in those poems, and that's that's like an instant door shutting, isn't it? Mm, yeah. um, so there's a lack of engagement, and I don't blame them really. Um, but like, it's basically it's about trying to be an advocate for poetry, essentially, and it's it's not about saying, "Hey, here I am to kind of like harvest the next generation of poets." It's more about it's more about saying. Poetry is there for you to read, to watch and to write if you want to. And you are entitled to that and you deserve you deserve to have the benefits of reading a poem where you see yourself reflected in that poem. And you deserve to have the benefits that come from writing a poem as well, if you want to. And you deserve to have your voice as part of the literary landscape because... Yeah. We need more young people's voices in poetry. We need, you know, a more diverse range of, of poets. Um, and so it's kind of about advocating for that. And so it will be 
So I do a lot of things like writing articles and blogs and things like that um, as a way to advocate for poetry. But I also um, like visit schools. Um, I, I'm doing a project with um, a few different kind of organisations to to kind of basically highlight poetry essentially so you do four different residencies throughout your year as young people's laureate and the residencies last like a week each and you work with a group of young people to um to write poetry together but then you also um kind of have there's an outcome from that residency that can kind of spread the message wider so i'm working with a refugee charity called young roots creating some work by young people who have experienced forced migration and um, we're going to create some um like beautiful like um graphics of their poems to share uh, i'm working with a mental health charity called calm and um uh, as part of that, I'm working with a charity called Street Soccer who use football to engage young people. So we're going to use football and poetry to engage young people for this particular project. Amazing. And I've got um, two other residencies later on in the year. So it's kind of lots of different projects, advocating for poetry, like being up for talking about poetry whenever I'm asked. So yeah. like this is a really good example of yeah, that. Well, so, yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds very very exciting it, like if I wasn't teaching and that would be my dream job I think it sounds uh -huh. um what what I mean you spoke about plans you've got for the role I saw something on Instagram is it something you've done for South is it South London Voices oh South London Stories Stories yeah yeah yeah, that, yeah. I mean so... I've seen it flicking but it looks obviously South London and myself it looks really uh, interesting that was a really cool project actually so that was um a theater in south london called london bubble um decided to make a series of short films with some young actors that they work with called south london stories and it was really a way to kind of combat covid restrictions you know right. there's so many theaters particularly this like you know theatres that work with young people, theatres that for some people, for some young people are, they are their community, you know, and they've had to close their doors. So this project was about writing um, monologues about South London and then working with a filmmaker to turn them into films. So I worked with an amazing young woman called Abna and helped her write a story about Camberwell and Peckham. And, um, and then it was made into a film. And so it's, theatres are being so resourceful at the moment. Like everyone's having to just dig deep and kind of find ways to keep um, creative projects afloat and to keep young people with access to their communities all with these like intense COVID restrictions. So I think that was a really good example of one of them. Yeah, I'll have to try and find that. I originate from Peckham. <laughs> so that'd be, that'd be, yeah, that'd be quite interesting to watch that. Oh, I'll send you the link. Yeah, I'll give that a watch. It would be uh, silly of me not to, to ask for some advice from one laureate to another laureate. Obviously, I told you before the chat in email that at my school, quite excited about it to be fair we've uh, started a role of poet laureate so we got we got some students to send in the work and we chose one and there's going to be one every year I think and I love that it's such yeah. a good idea so I think I think his role is to to write about sort of events that are happening globally or nationally but also school-wide as well he's going to sort of celebrate things that happen within a school so 
it'd be really interesting to see what he comes up with. I'll have to send you some of his stuff. He's actually, um, if I if I get permission, uh, he's just done one about the pandemic and the current poet laureate that we chose. He's, he's year seven, so he's only first year. Bless him. But it's such uh, an it's such an incredible poem that he's he's come out with. So yeah, if I can get permission, I'll forward you it if you want to have a watch of that. Do. But yeah, he's just started the role. You are the young person's London laureate. What advice have you got, laureate to laureate, for for our laureate? Um. I think, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's pressure, isn't it? You're like, oh my God, I've got to, um, yeah, it's a big job to kind of respond to global events and to um, yeah, create work off the bat kind of thing and, and to kind of be the advocate for poetry. So I think my advice would be like, you can't do it all. Do the things that really interest and engage you and therefore your work will be, you know, full of that energy that you have and will speak to people. Um, so, yeah, and I think also have faith in yourself. Like you, it's a huge thing to be elected in the school, to be laureate. And um, that means that you are, you know, passionate and engaged and talented person. So I think enjoy it and try and have fun and do things that kind of, that you really really enjoy um and and try not to let the kind of negative voice get to you or the pressure get to you it's easy to get imposter syndrome sometimes yeah. isn't it you know I think everyone suffers with that um so I think yeah just uh just enjoy it and write about the the things that you that you love and know that that will have an impact that is good advice. I will make sure he receives it. <laughs> You've recently had a competition that you told me about as well. It, that's, that's still running, isn't it, that you launched as part yeah. of your role? Yes, I love this um, competition. I, I'm think judging... I think it's a really good idea. Yeah. yeah, I do too. It was like, I mean, I get all sorts of random requests, but um, yeah, this cleaning company called Clean for Good got in touch saying that they wanted to run a competition a poetry competition that celebrates the UK's key workers. I mean, the the UK's key workers are literally the people that keep the country moving while the Definitely. rest of us are shut inside. Uh, and they're people that are, you know, risking their health um, every day to make sure that things keep going in the way that people expect them to. Um, and a lot of the time, key workers uh, are not paid well enough or they're on uh, insecure contracts that that uh, are zero hours with no with no security and benefits and things like that and clean for good are basically an ethical cleaning company who um, employ a cohort of cleaners who are all paid fairly with uh, job security and benefits and things like that um, and this cleaning company wanted to um, to launch this competition that celebrated key workers you know, because they need to be celebrated. So they're encouraging people to write poems about the UK's key workers and send them in. There's three different categories. One is the, the young people's category, which I'm judging because I'm young people's laureate. It makes yep. sense. And then there's a written category, but there's also a spoken word category. So if people were more comfortable sending in recordings of themselves, they could absolutely do that. Um, and yeah, it's just a really nice initiative, I think. Yeah, I do. I think there's going to be some great entries out of that about key workers. I've passed uh, the uh, press release on to my head of English, and I think we're going to try and get some students to enter that as well. So hopefully that would be great. You'll have uh, maybe even from our poet laureate himself. That would be quite cool. Oh, I hope so. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. 
Um, you've also had very recently, I think, some words for Vogue on uh, on Instagram. That's exciting. You've 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 appeared in Vogue, haven't you? Yes, I did a Vogue interview uh, a couple of years ago. I think it was. Uh, it was so exciting. I mean, I as say, a... there's not many poets I can say that to that have been on here. They've been in Vogue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was surreal, really. I think they were doing a feature on on um, some some emerging poets, um, some young poets, um, and um, well, I mean, I don't have to make any bones about the fact that poets don't really make much money. So when I found out, I got to wear like a Chanel dress and some Manolo Blahnik high heels. I was like that is insane I'd never touched a pair of shoes or a dress so expensive in my entire life yeah. it was fun it was fun and the interview was interesting as well like I think it's you know it's always it's always exciting to feel like you're opening up poetry to a different audience or a wider audience and and to talk about why you love it so it was a fun interview yeah this is a great example though of poetry just poking its head into places you don't imagine it to be I love I love that poetry does infiltrate pretty much anything especially in this country we've, we've got uh, this this love affair with it haven't we how did the yeah. words come about for for the piece that was put on Vogue last ah, week, okay. this so, week? yeah so director Charlotte Wales was was creating a new Vogue short film um which is kind of celebrating women essentially and celebrating um celebrating all different women basically I guess that the brief was like not celebrating the traditional like I don't know six foot skinny um runway mm. white female model I think it was about kind of embracing a diversity of um the female body um so the brief was about celebrating the body um and it was fun yeah it was like um I guess <laughs> I think a lot of loads of women I include myself in this struggle with like body image and trying to meet some impossible standard of how we're supposed to look or whatever so it was quite nice to try and kind of confront almost my own insecurities through writing and and try and write something that was incredibly positive and celebratory and um honest and um yeah it was fun and and it's <laughs> I watched the video and it came out I think it came out on Tuesday this week and I was just like it felt incredibly surreal to see like these incredibly famous women reading my poem it was yeah. so mad it, it must be mad hearing your words like being spoken by by other people as well yeah uh, what someone who's done as much as you have already in your career it's quite refreshing I've seen before on Twitter you talking about um, how even people like yourself still find submission process quite hard and the hardships of submission process and a lot of people message me uh, randomly saying oh I'm trying to get this collection uh, published or I'm trying to get something in a, in a journal and I've had some some really good snippets of advice from from different poets with submissions. What's what's your your biggest sort of no no and and like things to do more with how you process things internally because rejection's quite hard to take uh, and you get a lot of it in the submission process, don't you? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, <clears throat> this is interesting that you ask this because I actually wrote an article yesterday for the Young Poets Network and one of the 
things that I was talking about was this um, this reality of rejection. And as a writer, you you are just going to get rejected. You just are. Um, I remember reading uh, Marlon James's novel uh, a couple of years ago that one that ended up winning the Booker Prize. And uh, it had been rejected, I think, 70 times or something like that. Like mm. um, rejection is a part of being a writer, like relative to how many writers there are in the world. There are very few competitions, uh, publishers and journals and magazines. So getting rejected is just part of it because there's not enough opportunities for writers. So of course you're gonna get rejected and you have to remember that it's not actually always a reflection on how good you are as a writer. Yeah. Um, it just might not be based on that particular editor at that particular time or that particular judge at that particular time It's not your time right now. Um, so you just have to keep going, I think. And if you're, always reading or watching poetry online and maybe going to a writing group and stuff you are naturally just improving all the time yeah. and so the next time you submit you might have just been to a workshop that really helped you with your line breaks on that particular poem or you might have um just read something that has kind of shifted your perspective slightly and then and you and then you might be an appropriate um fit for that particular magazine or journal or whatever um, so I really think it's so hard to not get down on yourself. And I, I have a spreadsheet where of, of every magazine that I've ever submitted to in my whole career. And when I get accepted to one, I highlight it in green. And when I get rejected, I highlighted it, I highlight it in red. And it's all red apart from maybe four or five um, strips of green. And that's just the nature of things. Like that's just how it goes. So try not to get disheartened. And also, if you see your worth as a writer based on the opinions of very few gatekeepers, then you will always be disheartened and disappointed. You have to, yeah, it's, ama it's an amazing boost when you win a competition or when you get published or whatever, and definitely celebrate that. And, and, and a lot of competitions are, are really good for writers and they're really supportive for writers and I'm really pleased that they exist. But also you have to also find your worth from other places, from the community that you are part of, from other writers, from yourself and for the, from the joy that you should be getting when you when you write, too. Yeah. Um, so that would be my advice about rejection. And also try not to go on social media too much if you feel like you're in a place where it's just hurting your feelings because everyone seems to be getting published and everyone seems to have a better life than you and everyone's got a bigger flat than you and blah, blah, yeah. blah. You know? Yeah, yeah. That is such a good point about about, you know, having and thinking about the worth of your writing don't judge it on the, the few gatekeepers that's a very good point um I, funny you said about the spreadsheet i've literally this year started a spreadsheet and i do exactly the same green red and if it's currently i'm waiting yellow i've got a yellow in there as well yeah. but yellow's a good one maybe yeah. i should start doing that i've got i think also in terms of like practical advice for for submissions i do think it is helpful to read the magazines that you're um, yeah. submitting to even if it's just you reading a couple online just because some magazines do have a really specific like tone and vibe to them and you just I might do, not yeah. be able to write for that like it's really interesting to read the call out um often magazine will have like a, a a bit of information about what they're looking for in that issue like the Rialto for example 
is open for submissions at the moment and they are really keen from what I can see for people that would maybe consider themselves part of the spoken word community a bit you know as well as people that consider their work to be working best on the page you know so it is really useful to read those things and I think yeah just reading the guidelines and, and stuff and just being a bit meticulous about how your work is presented some people like it to be double spaced some people like it to be in a certain font blah blah yeah. blah it's annoying and arbitrary but it's useful and I think the spreadsheet is a really good tip just to kind of give yourself a bit of um kind of goals to work towards and keep keep track on what you've got out there at the moment definitely definitely I mean well I'm on the cusp of 30 now and it's only the last year I think I've started getting a few things uh, accepted in places um, yeah. and, and I mean I've been writing probably not seriously but writing since poetry since a level so I think perseverance yeah. as well definitely I mean I don't know where you find the time I'm amazed to hear that you've got a, a novel forthcoming as well haven't you I mean you've got this role you've got all the poetry and a novel I mean a novel is a big bit of work so I mean congratulations on that um, is there much you can say about that yeah yeah uh, I mean it took me a long time to write yeah, I, bet. I didn't I didn't I didn't whip it out in six months it took me <laughs> a long time but uh yeah no it's coming out uh, next year with with the borough press um and um well what can I say about it it it's called Little Boxes. It's about four mates that live in the same block of flats. They are, their lives are changed quite radically by a suicide. Um, and um, each of them responds very differently to it. Uh, so that's kind of like the sort of very brief mm. synopsis. It's, it's really a drawing together of all the things that I care a lot about in, in writing. So, um, there's a there's obviously um, a mental health um, theme. There's a suicide. There's there's grief and how we all react differently to it. And there's a kind of a search to maybe find the language to to articulate that specific experience of grief. It's set in Brighton, which is my hometown. I always wanted to write my first book um, in bright uh, set in Brighton because it means so much to me. Um, there's um, there's a character who's struggling with his sexuality, um, which is something that, which is a real journey that my brother went on and, and something that we kind of talked a lot about together while he was still alive. There's um, a female character in it who, who's kind of struggling to navigate the world as a young woman and who unfortunately is kind of con contending with a, what what I would probably describe as a, an emotionally abusive relationship which is definitely something that I've experienced in the past so it feels like a real like culmination of these key things that kept like cropping up in my poetry yeah, yeah. um and yeah it, it's 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 done now I'm I can't touch it anymore you get to the stage where you have to send it to your editor to send to the copy editor who like looks at the kind of actually how it is on the page and the grammar and the if there are any inconsistencies or something mm. so it's done I just have to wow. that's it now and and obviously I'm full of self-doubt now I'm like oh um have I made a terrible mistake it sounds like a really interesting concept with it with the, the four different 
flats and reacting differently uh, it sounds great i certainly certainly read that when it comes out um i'm just amazed i mean i think i remember you on screwy's pips podcast talking about starting to write a novel and that was a long time ago so oh yeah it yeah. took me a really long time i think i started writing it when i was 24 wow. i'm 30 next year wow so same it's just scary <laughs> I've, I've just turned 29 uh, last week and I'm just thinking wow this is it this is the last last year but I've heard such good things about 30s good life reviews better. Yeah. my life my life has got so much better the older I get mm. I wouldn't go back to my early 20s for all the money in the world I was no. miserable looking back I was so unhappy it seems to be a common thing I think I've I've fond memories of being a teenager and then once you get to sort of 18, 19, it's just shit for a good yeah. good while. And then you sort of find find yourself, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about a couple of your poems. I'd like to just have a chat about a few in particular poems with, with poets while they're on. Uh, I think Bodies was the first, first poem I ever heard of yours. I mean, that was what, 2006? 16 maybe yeah it was a long time ago long time yeah. ago um but more recently all my ex-boyfriends are having a dinner party i thought it was incredible and um i'm a big fan i love the guys at uh, bath mag and and i saw you had i used to eat kfc zingers without hating myself i mean <laughs> your titles are incredible for one because i struggle with titles sometimes <laughs> but i wondered if you could talk a little bit about those two poems for anyone that hasn't read those sure yeah uh I used to eat KFC zingers without hating myself um, is really, I guess, my kind of grappling with anxiety, I suppose. Um, it's basically a list poem of like kind of things that a person might perform that might pertain to a kind of anxious disposition, mm. like... Um, and it's kind of there's a few like little nods to like you know eye rolling millennial stuff that we all do that kind of is meant to help but then also makes us feel like shit because then we end up writing a poem about it <laughs> um so yeah it's basically just about just about that like train journeys and trying to burn candles to chill out and little... I, liked, I liked how because list poems I do love list poems but that one I felt like I'd been dropped into your brain and I was just you could just it was like one after another there was some sort of logical sense even though some of them didn't match up it was like your thought process exactly as it was on the page yeah I think that that was that poem I feel was a bit of a turning point for me in my career I mean first of all that's the first poem I ever got published in a magazine um so I always have like quite a fond um quite a fond relationship with it yeah and secondly I wrote that poem in a kind of weird frenzy that came over me at my kitchen table one day and then I took it to Caroline Bird who was doing some mentoring with me at the time and we had a really good conversation about it and something just clicked for me so something said to me you're allowed to do whatever you want in a poem and you don't have to follow the normal rules of things like narrative or logic as we know it or sense and I think that's why I gave it that title because I was like I can title it anything that I want to that is amazing and I, I it was only like two years ago that I wrote it or maybe 
a bit less than that even, but I really will always see that poem as a turning point in my, in my writing style and process because I just realised that I could do whatever I wanted. Yeah, no, I think it's great. Um, and I think as well, the, the, all my ex-boyfriends having a dinner party is such, such a good idea for a poem because sometimes I, I struggle just with ideas uh, and maybe I should concentrate less on them as we've said and just just have that freedom to write but I think as ideas goes and concepts goes I think that that was a particularly good one for a poem. Yeah that was a fun one to write I think touching a little bit on what I was saying earlier about not knowing where you're going to go when you write and trusting that what you want to write about will come out um, if you allow yourself to be random and divergent and playful. I was just doing a free write and the image of my ex-boyfriends around a table with like steaks, wearing expensive suits and just being manly mm. came into my head. Um, and then I was just like, just allow yourself to, to, to write that to the point where you feel that it's ended um and that was really fun and it, it ended up being a poem about food and what we allow ourselves to eat as women and the kind of the legacies of traumatic relationships it ended up being that all from just this image of like a particularly shit ex of mine wearing a suit eating a steak mm. um and yeah that was really really fun to write it sort of wrote itself once I'd given myself the permission to just go with that image it just wrote itself the poem yeah and uh, as I said quite powerful powerful start and end point to that poem I thought and if, if you haven't read them there the links are up on your on the site to the relevant magazines aren't they for those poems me and you have something quite in common I've heard you a few times on, on various podcasts in the past talk about um, just how much you love dialogue and conversations and I always it, it is poetry in motion sometimes and I'm currently as well as trying to write poetry I'm, I'm also writing um, like my, my first attempt at script for TV uh, and I'm constantly writing down things where I was before lockdown that just people say because I, it's like that they're, they're just written perfectly already sometimes these these phrases that leave people's mouths I love it yeah I if, if we weren't in a global health pandemic, I would still be sitting on buses listening to people's conversations. Yeah. I just love hearing people talking to each other. Their little turns of phrase or like, I was, I, was, I was lying in bed with my boyfriend the other day and he was like, he said something amazing and I just had to like be that be that wanker and get my phone and write it down. <laughs> write it down, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was like, um, he said something like, you know, and at that time we were just circling the drain. And I was like, what does that mean? That's an amazing phrase. I love that, write, write it down. I've always been interested in dialogue and people talking. I don't really listen to music. I, I listen to talk radio or podcasts, mm. which is why I always feel like a loser when everyone's like, what sort of music do you like? And I'm like, I just like audio books. <laughs> 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 nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that yeah. I, I had to get a train to Wigan I think it was last year and obviously it was such a long train and I think I had two pages of things I'd written down from from people yeah. like a hen party got on at one point which was just gold and then there was yeah. football fans going up to Wigan I was like oh this is oh, incredible yeah say don't they that all, all writers are just thieves really we just we're just little sponges that go around in the world like Oh, I could put that in an order and it would make a really good <laughs> bit of writing. 
we're an odd bunch yeah <laughs> so i sort of finished up talking about uh, editing uh, and how you approach editing poetry yourself because there's a few questions that seem to spring up so many different answers which is why i love mm. asking them when you've written a poem uh, and, and it's there in its first sort of draft as it were and you you put it away maybe and come back to it what is the first thing you do to that poem read it out loud um you can cut so much if mm. you read it out loud you can see where you're repeating yourself or where you're saying the same thing twice i think um which is something that i've really worked on a lot in the last kind of few years is is this idea of tautology and saying the same thing twice because you're passionate about getting your point across yeah you can be like and they said this which means and you're like and then you have to really tell yourself not to tell your reader or your audience what to feel not to be so directive mm. you know I really think that a poem should um should be like one of those plug-in air fresheners that you put in the corner of the room like yeah, yeah, yeah. it shouldn't like it should emit something a fragrance a feeling an energy you know it should yeah it, it it shouldn't be so, it shouldn't be like an instruction manual about how to feel. And it shouldn't just be like a retelling of an experience because in a poem, you're not trying to just explain what happened. The process of the poem is an experience in of itself. Yeah. And that is the thing that gives off the vibe. And I think, so I, I go through it, I read it out loud, cut any bits that sound kind of clunky or, or bits that I feel are being too kind of like instructional or directive. Um, and then to be honest with you, I show it to my friends. Um, mm. That's the best, that's my writer friends. That's the best editing um, tip that I've got. Yeah. I'm really lucky that I'm in a writing group at the moment with some amazing writers, including Maria Ferguson, who we talked about earlier. And we have a Google doc and we put a poem in it every week. Um, you don't have to like if you haven't managed to write something new that week there's no pressure but if you've got one you put it in on a Wednesday and then by the Monday next week people would have typed some some thoughts or some notes and it's it's been a lifesaver in these times it's given me community mm. it's given me you know valuable feedback but it's also given me a, a structure and a routine to work towards so I'll try and write something new on a Monday or a Tuesday, even if it's just a free write. And then I'll put it in the in the doc, in the Google doc. And I'll be like, could this go somewhere? Sometimes all I need is them to say this could go somewhere. Yeah. Sometimes all I need is them to say, you need to flesh this out a bit more. You need to do a bit more thinking. That's what I, I need to start sending them to writer friends. I, I have the tendency to to send them to mates in the pub who are just like yeah so i don't know what the, it means but <laughs> yeah i mean that is a really good i think that's a really amazing way to check if your poem is is doing its poem job is to show it to someone that's not a writer yeah, because yeah, yeah. They, they will just give you a, an emotional response or a feeling which is kind of what you want isn't it but yeah. But then also your writer friends have the language to discuss why something might not be working or why it is working, which which is like really useful when you're editing, isn't it? Opposite end of that spectrum. When is it time to walk away from a poem and leave it? Oh, who knows? <laughs> when you're sick of the sight of it, <laughs> probably. I don't know. Um, 
I don't think it's a poem is ever finished because mm. I have I have poems that are in my manuscript for my collection and um, if I showed them to somebody else uh, they might be like oh that's not finished but I think they're finished so I don't think a poem is ever finished I think you it's like you learn to be intuitive about these things like I know I've got poems on my desktop that I read them and I just feel like mm, that's not found its way yet and then I've got poems that I'm like no I really do think that that is fine how it is but it's all subjective isn't it so my yeah. feelings might be contradicted by someone else's feelings so who knows basically I think I think it is a feeling I think you know yourself when you think that's come to an end um, and yeah. if you I think if you read it and you think I've not got everything out I wanted to that's when you carry on tinkering with it mm. perhaps but yeah I think you're right the, the question that sort of drove me to start this podcast initially which I, I like to end on is and it's a broad question so I'm going to spring it spring it on you but why is it that you think especially in this country but globally that we still in 2021 have such a love affair with poetry because it's it's got an old uh, format isn't it it's an old piece of literature poetry but yet as we spoke about already today it does seem to find its way constantly no matter what the year is into all these different scenarios and situations so what is it about poetry why do you think that people still have this love affair with it it's magic it's 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 a way to distill a feeling no matter what type of poetry we're talking about whether we're talking about amanda gorman at the inauguration of joe biden or whether we're talking about a kind of avant-garde oblique page poem it it moves people and that's because it's the land of like dreams it's the land of magic and fantasy and surrealism but it's also the the land of love and pain and and it's it's a constant kind of grasping towards trying to find a language to articulate the things that we cannot with our normal language and so there's something powerful about that there's something that stirs people um and I think that's why we turn to it at our moments of desperation and pain like at funerals and I think that's why we turn to it in moments of global tension like we've done recently at the inauguration and and I think that's why it feels good to write it because it is trying it's about trying and I think it's about questioning without necessarily having to have the answers and that is an important thing that humans need to do definitely good answer good answer on the spot but you did well there um yeah thank you for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure if people want to keep up to date with you and with your poet laureate role where where can they find you um you can go onto my website cecilianapp.com uh, i've got a newsletter that i put out every month and that will have like opportunities for you to come to workshops or go to online readings um and I'm, i tweet all the time as well so at cecilianapp on twitter and instagram too and obviously novel it sounds like a poetry collection on the horizon as well hopefully a poetry collection hopefully. on the on the horizon i'm still working on it i, I don't i don't I think that um, there's quite a lot of pressure on poets to put out their first collection, isn't there? And I'm just not rushing it at all. I'm just really enjoying 
making it into the thing that I really, really want it to be for the first poetry collection I put out. So hopefully um, in the next couple of years, there'll be a collection from me. Oh, we've got the, the novel to look forward to in the meantime. Cecilia, thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. And now we get to hear a piece from Cecilia herself. This is called Bust Up Lip. Bust Up Lip. Come in from the cold, babe. Your glasses are all smashed up. You say it don't hurt, don't want to be touched, cleaned up, but it's raining. Hard, green, brighten rain. You disappear up your tree with your hands on fire in the new tracksuit you saved up for. You're invisible against the night, hiding the long limbs you were born into. You don't want to play footy. You want to dance purple, feel the slick untwist of a lippy. You want the girls from the estate who let you kiss them exactly because you don't like it. They show you how drink works. They are goddesses. Blue eyeshadow. Smart mouths. I love them. They always bring you home. A massive thank you as always to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter at People underscore Poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, JBO, that's JBO Pens Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show, if you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat, or social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's peoplespoetrypodcast at hotmail.com. Thank you.